This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Top of the morning to you. Hope you're having a great day as you're on your drive, your commute to work. Man, another great day. Life is good. Don't you feel it? This is the program, remember, where we give you the tools, the ideas, everything you need to grow a healthier, happier life. We don't just do those itty-bitty interviews that last like two minutes. We're going to give you 20 minutes with experts on different topics today. In fact, one of the things we're going to get to in just a few minutes, some of the latest research about teens and technology. Uh, A lot of what we're finding out about technology, folks, is it's just, it's not the... It's not the catch-all for all things bad. Your kids actually, they like it, A, and B, they it, it, there's some beneficial things going on when it comes to their technology use. We will be talking with Dr. Benjamin Hickerson, who's a professor at Penn State, and he's in the College of Health and Human Development. He's going to walk us through some of the latest findings. In fact, um, there's just some really interesting research about how teenagers use their cell phones. Okay, Kathy, who do you think, I mean, you know, they don't like to talk Mm because they can text. Right. Or as Hillary Clinton taught, you can now Snapchat, (laughs) where all of your information is immediately (laughs) eliminated. Um, Who do you think kids actually call? Who do they call when they have to? Who gets the most phone calls? Who gets the From most phone a calls? Teen. I would guess their parents. Yeah, their closest relationships are so they reserve the phone call for their best relationships. Mm-hmm. If you're not in their top five, their fab five, favorite five, I mean, <laughs> then guess what? You're not getting a phone call. You're getting a text. So if your kids never call you, mm-hmm. guess what? You've been you're demoted. Not in the top five. You're not there. So we're going to be talking more and more about uh, technology use and uh, and teens, folks. It's a really important. Thing. Don't just don't just demonize it. We you know we can always do that. Hey, speaking of demonizing, did you hear the story about Marco Rubio? I missed that, but I can't wait to this hear. This is the sad. <laughs> you can't win when you're running for office because no. his basic comment. I mean, all this was this was the headline: Watch Marco Rubio hit a kid, hit a boy in the face with a pass. That's all the headline said. But basically, Marco Rubio playing catch with a little boy. The little boy totally missed the ball. Took the ball in the face and then hit the ground. And then all and the, the press, press are like, going wild. Yeah. they're just taking all of these guy. pictures. He's a totally mean guy. But they, they, a lot of them believe that he's actually Marco Rubio's trying to prepare for a career with the Dolphins. Mm-hmm. They may need him. They may need him. And he may need a job. <laughs> Apparently. The boy appears to be okay. He was, did not suffer any permanent damage. The pass was right there. It was a great pass. By yeah. Senator Rubio. Watch the kids sue him or something. Now. Yeah, there's going to be, there's there's going going to be, a, be lawsuit. a lawsuit. Totally. <laughs> uh, by the way, a really little side note here. Marco Rubio married a Miami Dolphins cheerleader. Mm. So, you know, it's in the blood. It's totally in the blood. Uh, so anyway, watch out for Marco Rubio. And then did you hear about this? This makes me mad. As an owner, you're an owner of a, of a, I, well, what do we call them? Apple Watch. Apple Watch, Watch uh-huh. Uh, Major League Baseball has banned... Kansas City manager Ned Yost from using his Apple Watch. Why is that? 
they think it gives them an unfair advantage. Isn't that weird? Like, what's the advantage? What is he doing? Looking at the score of the game? Well, the time? Yeah. Holy cow. I got to get to dinner. Um, <laughs> Let's speed this up, please. I guess you're not allowed to have technology on the field. Like, you can't have an iPad out there because you could maybe be having somebody – somebody could text you that's, like, trying to steal your signs or whatever. Mm. But so I guess they are afraid that the watch is an unfair advantage because somebody could text him and say, hey, you better watch out because that guy's going to steal second. Are you serious? Yeah, can you believe this? No, I can't. Major League Baseball uh, told Yost he's not allowed to wear it. Yost explained that when not connected to his iPhone, so when his iPhone is in his back pocket of his jeans in his locker, mm-hmm. uh, his I- Apple Watch is basically nothing but a glorified clock. Right, just right? a clock. Right. Just a clock. Mine's mm-hmm. not even a clock. Mm-hmm. By the way, I set my alarm last night for the first time ever on, on my watch. phone. Wow. Yeah. On your watch? Or- last night, yeah, at 2 in the morning, I thought I'd do that. My wife's like, shouldn't you be sleeping now? I'm like, yeah, I'm just trying to set my watch. It took me like an hour. You're going to have to show me how to do that. I don't know. It's how really to do cool that. once you figure it out. Man, <laughs> it's almost intuitive. But then I realized it's not because it took me all night to figure it out. So apparently, um, Yoast, uh, you know, you're not allowed to wear your Apple Watch, which I think is a joke. So this is a preemptive ban. So it's not necessarily. Mm-hmm bad now, but they're afraid that it will be in the future. Well, you know why? That's probably why. Because do you remember, was it Cinco, Ocho Cinco, that mm-hmm. that pulled out his cell phone and texted something after he made a touchdown? Didn't somebody pull out their cell phone? Or they had put they their just cell phone. pretended. But some, they were texting. Somebody was texting either in a dugout or on the sideline. They were live texting. I think I remember that. An enti- live tweeting an entire football game or something. Oh. And that's when the NFL came out and said, no, no technology. More. Yeah. No more. So I bet the watch is part of that. I bet they're saying. Because you can send texts from your watch. But only if your phone's within yeah, like right. 50 exactly. feet or whatever. Yeah. So anyway, that's, I think that's just super sad. Super sad. Because, oh again, Apple needs everything they can to make their company work. And the last thing they need is Major League Baseball (laughs) messing with them. Anyway, crazy stuff. Uh, We brought that up because we're going to be talking again about technology and your teenager. Some of the latest research, we'll be finding out about some work done at Penn State University. Dr. Benjamin Hickerson will be with us. But first, let's go to the tech guru herself, one who wears an Apple Watch. Kathy Aiken in the headlines. Good morning, Matt. Former Subway sandwich spokesman Jared Fogel is expected to plead guilty today to possession of child pornography charges. Last month, federal agents raided his home in Zionsville, Indiana, where several DVDs and computers were reportedly seized. A press conference is expected this afternoon to discuss the charges against him. After more than 300 emails from Hillary Clinton's private email server were flagged as classified, the Democratic presidential frontrunner says the questions about the server are nothing to worry about. Clinton is blaming Republicans for the controversy because she says they cannot defeat her on the issues. She also says she wasn't the only government official who used a private email server. We would be going through the same because this may not have been an issue in 2009, but now it is. Or in 2011, this should have been handled differently than it was. It has nothing to do with me, and it has nothing to do with the fact that my account was personal. It's the process by which the government, and sometimes in disagreement between various agencies of the government, make decisions about what can and cannot be disclosed. 
The FBI continues to search the server for recoverable data. Despite the controversy, Clinton still leads with Democratic voters. GOP presidential contender Carly Fiorina has surged in the polls, moving to number seven in the latest Real Clear Politics polling average. Donald Trump still leads the field at 22 percent, followed by Jeb Bush, Ben Carson, Scott Walker, Marco Rubio and Ted Cruz. The next debate is scheduled for September 16th at the Ronald Reagan Library in California. More than 80 wildfires continue to rage across the West. Evacuations are being called for in certain areas of California and Washington State. National Guard team leader Kurt Stitch says moisture is desperately needed. I'm not looking for an end in sight. I mean, we could see September, October being just as active with fire behavior as we're seeing now if we don't see significant rainfall. More than 400 California National Guard soldiers joined the firefighters this week, and thousands more are being trained. A Motel 6 in Bremerton, Washington, was rocked by a gas explosion yesterday. The motel was evacuated just moments before due to a gas leak. A gas company worker was critically injured in the blast. Though there are no reports of anyone missing, fire officials plan to go through the rubble this morning just to make sure. Three people are missing and presumed dead after a landslide in Sitka, Alaska. A state of emergency has been ordered there following two and a half inches of rain that fell in 24 hours, causing the slide. The FDA has approved a pill to treat sexual dysfunction in premenopausal women. The pink pill called Addy is taken daily and works on the central nervous system. It's in the same category as an antidepressant. And Yvonne Craig... The original Batgirl in the 1960s TV series Batman has died from cancer. Craig also appeared in episodes from The Man from Uncle, Star Trek, and Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea. Craig was considered a pioneer of female superheroes. She was 78 hmm. years old. Oh, that's You're sad. too young. You weren't even born, I don't think. No, I think I remember seeing they were black and white, so I remember that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, in the 60s, yeah. I get, was that black and white? I, I was, think yeah. I'm pretty sure it was. Yeah. Did you hear about Batman dying? Which one? Oh, that is so sad. There, there was a Batman back east that. Oh, I did. That, the, uh, yeah. He would went go around doing help, good. Yeah, he'd yeah. like go see kids in mm-hmm. hospitals and stuff. Mm-hmm. And he died. His car, his Batmobile, which I, I think was like a Ferrari, by the way, stalled on the interstate and he. A uh, Lamborghini. Man, that's a great car if you're yeah. going to be Batman. <laughs> And he got rear-ended. He was, anyway, died. died yeah, Tragic. Hit by a car. Yeah, so we're losing was... all of our superheroes. That's not good. Hey, did, did, did I just hear Hillary Clinton say um, that it has nothing to do with her? No, and nothing to do with her. Does she not realize that she's the one that the FBI are invest? They're investigating her activity yeah, of her I, server. For some reason, those Clintons, they never think it's their problem. I, I don't, mean, I, don't I would get this if it wasn't the FBI. Mm-hmm. Like if this was just, you know. Some senator, Lindsey Graham, like rifling through her files. I get that. Yeah. And I see where Donald Trump is. Um, he's predicting that Hillary Clinton will serve 20 years in prison. Oh, jeez. Because of it. Oh, yeah, this mercy. kid is going to be interesting. Hey, and if by the way. If they find it, it was wiped clean and they find some things, that's, that won't be good. Well, I mean, if they've already found 300 potential. Mm-hmm. Well, what she says is when they were sent to her, they were not flagged as classified. But like the, someone says, you no. know what? You don't look for the flag. You look for the content. No, see, and by the way, this is a real problem because they're all trained mm-hmm. to know. Right. A, but B, there's nobody more trained than Senator Hillary Rodham Clinton. Exactly. Who was a senator for, for four years, Secretary, Secretary of State, State for exactly. four years, and the First Lady for four years. She knows what confidential is. And it doesn't have to say you know, top secret. Right. It doesn't have to say it. Right. If it's coming from one of these agencies and it has, for example, pictures of Libya 
mm-hmm. if it has. I mean, you, she's know. she's. This is a big lesson, I think, for all of us. She just needs to be quiet right now, because you can't talk your way out of this. Yep. Eventually, there's going to just have to be. I blew it. There's no way she cannot eventually say she didn't blow it. She blew it because when you have two inspectors, we'll see. But when two inspector generals and the FBI are now after you, mm-hmm. you're in trouble. Well, and when you say it wasn't wiped clean, but then they find that it's been wiped clean, and then they're going to find other emails. This could be potentially very well, dangerous. Well, you know, it's really bad, too, because now all of her aides are lawyering up. This is crazy. <laughs> anyway, that's crazy. That's almost as crazy as finding out that there's a new female Viagra pill. Yeah, yeah, finally. I mean, the women, why that's, are they always left behind so long? Well, I you mean, know. I mean, man, you've had the blue pill forever. I know, and look where it got us. <laughs> Nowhere. I don't know, Matt. Where did they it got us you? nowhere? <laughs> uh, now what are we doing? Now we've got Donald Trump running for president for crying oh. out loud. But um, but but it's an antidepressant. It's in that same line of yeah. Isn't that medicine, interesting? Yeah. That's great. I actually announced that in one of my speeches yesterday and pretty much got a standing O. <laughs> They're like, wow! It's about time. You know what? Yeah, it's overrated. Um, it's just a it's pill. Overrated. It's just a pill. It's a pill. <laughs> Um, anyway, I'll leave it at that. crazy. Okay. We'll leave it right there. Walk right away from that one. Uh, anyway, we're going to take a break. When we come back, Dr. Benjamin Hickerson is going to be joining us from Penn State University in the College of Health and Human Development. We're going to be finding out the latest uh, news and research about technology and your children, your teenagers. I mean, actually, to be specific, your teens. Uh, is technology all that bad? We'll find out. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, uh, this is the show where we're trying to give you the tools to be a better leader in your family, to live longer, to love stronger, to do what you need uh, to, to succeed. And it's hard. I mean, life is hard. If you're going to have kids and raise a family, it's hard. And, and many believe simply because technology is advancing, so too is the difficulty with raising our teenagers. And with, with our kids getting cell phones at younger ages each year, you know, and social media accounts like Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Teens are interacting in in a in an incredibly changing and dynamic way. Think about what you did as a teenager to get a hold of your friends. <laughs> you weren't texting them from your bedroom or whatever. You you had to go get the phone right and call them or get on your bike and go down the street. Well, many parents have are more and more hesitant these days because of a lot of these changes. They're worried about what, the impact it's having on their kids. So, with all of this speculation. And evidence that some technology is actually improving teens' friendships. We wanted to talk to an expert about it, Dr. Benjamin Hickerson, a professor at Penn State in the College of Health and Human Development. He's conducted some research on the effects of teens in the digital age, and he's here to teach us what he's learned. Dr. Hickerson, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Hi, Matt. Thank you. Great to have you uh, on the show. You know, there's been a lot of, just over the years, technology's kind of taken a beating, it seems like. As, as being a really negative uh, influence on our children. But is that the case? What is the data telling us? 
Well, it, it's a variety. Uh, a lot of the work that I've done has been on, on children and playing video games and their social interactions, and it's kind of a mixed bag. Yeah. Uh, you know, so, some of the social interactions online that they have are very positive and help them shape identity and uh, help them speak through issues and make new friends, and some of them can be negative as well because uh, they can be exposed to a lot of uh, adult-type situations or uh, commentary that they may not have been seeking otherwise. Yeah. So, so really, I guess it's it, it kind of does line up with. Uh, I guess most of us didn't even know that it that it was positive to like it could create a kind of a better sense of identity. Um, but I guess in the end, you you are finding that these kids on the positive side are. I guess it's they're connecting with other people. They're able to connect with their friends. Yeah. Well. One of the interesting things is that, you know, they can kind of experiment with making friends online uh, in, in real life, approaching somebody physically and, and being a friend is, is, can be difficult. Right. Uh, and online you get many, many chances uh, to test uh, and either successfully create something that's like a friendship that may never leave that kind of digital realm um, or also fail <laughs> at making friendships or fail at uh, social encounters. Uh-huh. Uh, so it's a good space to kind of test uh, relationships that may similarly happen in real life. I mean, that's, that's, that is kind of nice, isn't it? Because, yeah, you get to test it out. You get to practice a line. It's kind of like the old dating thing where you're trying to pick someone up and you're using a cheesy line at the bar. Now they can kind of figure it out, I guess, I guess online, they're just doing it on Facebook. Is that where they're practicing? Yeah. And, and, you know, one of the good things about, you know, social media, well, they have trouble doing this, but it can be turned off, right? Right. It doesn't have that same kind of physical confrontation. Uh, So if you get into something that you don't like they're you know, inlaid in the design of the software is a way to stop it. Uh, now, is everyone going to have the strength or, or knowledge to do that? You know, possibly not, but uh, it, it is a way they can experiment or test for sure. It seems like, because you're an expert in the video gaming impact, um, it seems like as parents, we've had a really weird stereotype or belief or assumption about video gaming Um that seems to be changing. Are you noticing that in your research? Yeah, well, you know, a lot of it comes from the the violence in video games that creates kind of that first stigma. When you when you look at a lot of the most popular uh best-selling video games, some of them are violent in nature. Uh and and that's probably another discussion because I think that people have started to kind of look beyond that and they've seen that games have changed a lot mm. in the past 10 to 20 years. Uh, you know, there are games that are made specifically to be the exact opposite of that, right? Uh, yeah. To teach educational skills and to teach social skills. Uh, and that, you know, games really do allow people to communicate with one another now so that that worry about isolation isn't the same as it used to be. And now, once again, this is a, you know, digital communication, not a physical, which yeah. I think most people prioritize. But nonetheless, uh, the way that games have evolved, I think, have created new opportunities and new benefits to youth. But talk about that, because, um, you know, a lot of people might not understand how you could go play a video game, and yet still it still becomes a socially bonding experience. Just explain to the average listener how kids are improving their their relationship uh, connections by gaming. 
Yeah, absolutely. Well, a lot of games require players to be cooperative with one another. Um, like so work they, on a team? Right. So, so, so teamwork type scenarios. So, so one would be, for example, you could take a sports game like a NHL game and, you know, one actual person could play each of the positions on the team, you know? Mm, yeah. And, and you have to negotiate that just like it was a, a team in real life. You know, the, you know, the neat thing about this is, is you have a large pool of people to, to choose from as well, right? So if, you know, we go to the local gym and we want to play pickup basketball, our pool of people to choose from is the pool that exists. Right, right. Uh, but if you want to play a game of, say, NBA 2K15 online, uh, your pool of people to choose from becomes immensely larger, right? Mm. And you can kind of create bonds and friendships by creating those teams per se, that uh-huh. require teamwork. And, you know, in, in the context of that, there's also going to be discussion that creates something that's similar to a relationship or a friendship. We've talked about that a lot on the show where uh, I have friends and even some of our producers here on the show, they'll go play with their brothers and they don't, they, you know, they're adults, they have families, but they don't, they now connect every, you know, once a week at 11 o'clock at night and they all go play some video game together and they put their headsets on and they just talk and bond and go shoot up, you know, enemy aliens. Yeah. And you know, one of the, the great things about leisure experiences, I think, is that they can be scheduled. You know, uh, not a lot of people uh, like to think about that phone call to mom or dad every week or that phone call to their brother or sister. Yeah. Uh, but if you're doing something that's a leisure activity together, and you're scheduling that, and in the context of play, you happen to have that same conversation that you would have had kind of like halfway listening on the telephone. Mm-hmm. Uh, it gives you something to kind of uh, center that relationship around. Uh, this, this is interesting. Again, we're speaking with Dr. Benjamin Hickerson, but Dr. Hickerson has a Ph.D. in parks, recreation, and tourism management. It's interesting as a because this is becoming kind of a new recreation, isn't it? Technology. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, and, and we even see it integrated into physical recreation experiences, right? So yeah. you, you go places and this, this physical place provides you all this added digital media to kind of enhance your experience. Uh, so, so technology is, is it's in itself uh, a leisure mechanism and also a supplemental piece of leisure at things that go far beyond that. Yeah, in fact, I we've even joked about on the show how they're starting to have gaming competitions where you can now go to USC and get on their uh, one of their competitive teams to go compete in video games against other universities and they're starting to win scholarships. I mean, it's turning into a full-fledged, you know, sport basically. Yeah, yeah, I mean, they, they... They call it eSports. eSports, that's right. Yeah, and, you know, and some people say, is it really a sport? Is it not? Yeah, whatever. If it it gets you a scholarship. Well, right, and it it requires a lot of the same things, right? It requires skill, and it requires teamwork, and it requires gamesmanship. Um, So it is similar to a sport in many ways. No, it's powerful. Let's do this. Let's take a break. Uh, We're talking with Dr. Ben Hickerson from Penn State University. He's walking us through some of his latest research and findings about, uh, you know, teens and the digital age and the impact it's having. When we come back, we'll continue the discussion. We'll also get into, I want to know specifically... What are the benefits? What other things is is out there? What what has Ben seeing in his research 
that would maybe make it hopeful that your kids might play a video game now and then. We'll continue this discussion, folks. Stick with us. You're listening to The Matt Townsend Show right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Today we're talking about technology, and one of the great benefits, apparently, of technology is its ability to help keep your your kids connected. And, and that's what they're finding is really one of the great uses of technology is simply connectivity. Your kids actually are connecting more and more and more using technology. In fact, I just saw a study that uh, was from Pew, the Pew Research Center, that basically was like 78% of teens are connecting and meeting people and connecting with people online and in gaming even. So our expert today is an, is uh, is focused his research on this topic. Dr. Benjamin Hickerson um, is a professor at Penn State in the College of Health and Human Development, and he's conducted research specifically on video gaming and what it does to uh, to help, I guess, aid relationships. Dr. Hickerson, welcome back to the show. Thank you. So teach us, what, what, what are you seeing? So I guess they're connecting with their friends, they're connecting with their family, um, they're playing games, video games. How else is that helping their relationships? That's an interesting question. So w- one of the questions is, is whether these relationships go beyond the online realm, as we, we talked about a little bit. And, you know, one of the things is that these kids who play games, they can play games with children who go to school with them, or they can play games with children who are at a far distance, like a family member or someone that they meet online. Yeah. Uh, I think one of the things about these gameplay interactions that occur online, they continue into the school and into the classroom as well. So, you know, uh, we talk about it at school, and then we come home and we test it and we play it together. Uh, so I think if you're playing with people in the same geographic region, that may you know, increase your relationships at school mm. with each other. I mean, too. just because they go talk about it? or Oh, well, because they've, they've played together after school, and then they go back to school, and they kind of share this camaraderie. Correct. Interesting. Yeah, you, in fact, you, you pointed that out, I guess, as one of your findings, 78% of teens who play online reported that they felt more connected to friends they already knew. That's, I mean, that's cool. I mean, you, cause we always think of these kids playing video games. They're just turning into loners that are never going to socialize. And, but the reality is it's kind of, it's almost like my son going to football practice the next day when they go to school, they all talk about it. Yeah. As, as with any leisure activity, there's kind of a culture or ethos that, that surrounds it. And, you know, we think about these and we think about, you know, traditional leisure activities, like you said, like football, or we think about cyclists. And, you know, if you ask somebody, you know, hey, what do you do with your life? A lot of times they'll describe themselves by what leisure activities they prefer, sometimes even before describing what they do for their work. Hmm. Uh, And I think that video games are becoming very similar since so many people identify with them. Uh, People who play games are, are using that as a way to find other people who are similar to their interests. 
and then doing that together and using that to expand their discussions about a relationship. Yeah. Is the is the makeup of a gamer, video gamer, I guess we should say, because dating gamers, that's a whole other story. But yeah. is, is, the, is the makeup of a gamer um, teen, do they just have kind of a different uh, makeup? Are certain people more drawn to just go be a gamer? Are they more introverted? Are they more extroverted? Well, what are you seeing? Well, now with the large number of people that play, there's such a wide spectrum, hmm. you know? Yeah. Um, I think there are certain types of people, and in some of the research that I've done, there are certain types of people who their relationship becomes more so with the game uh, or with the technology. Yeah. And that doesn't have the same type of social benefits that we've talked about as being a possibility. Yeah, so if your love is the tech, that's different than if your love is just connecting to others. And Yes, and that, and that was one of the major things that we found in our research was that, you know, how you perceived your social network or the quality of your social network depended upon kind of your psychological interaction with the games. Hmm. So if you were playing games uh, to create friends and, you know, because you had an identity and an interest that was associated with it, uh, that all related in a, with, with a relatively strong social network. But once people started to kind of centralize their interest around the device and around the artificial intelligence, then you could see that that could relate in some type of social deterioration. That's interesting. So that might be kind of a litmus test for parents is to ask some questions. So what is it you love about your game? And find out what is the driver. If the driver is the technology, we might want to do something. If the driver's relationships, then maybe we can just appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think that they still in some ways learn something from, from characters in the game. Yeah. So they're they're interacting, but... They're interacting with something that's human-like, not with uh, another human. And I think, you know, when they're playing games with other people, the the benefits become uh, a little larger. Are you familiar with the studies about, like, kids with ADD or or just the creativity that some of these games allow? And and for some kids, it really just allows them to more fully utilize their brain. Yeah, what— What's exciting is some of the research that I do with a colleague named Aaron Fink here at, at Penn State is on children with autism spectrum mm, disorder. Yeah. And one of the things that we've found is that children with autism spectrum disorder have a very simple time or a, a very peaked interest in interacting with technology, uh, whereas interacting with human people is much more difficult uh-huh. for them. Uh, so we've been considering the possibility of starting to do research on how do they use games? Uh, and are they able better to interact with humans through that kind of mediated device? And is that a place, once again, where they can practice those relationships? Huh. And, and what would yeah, that result? Learn some keys, learn some tools. Right, pick, picking up social skills. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the studies that we did uh, asked parents of children with autism disorder and parents of typically developing children, you know, what they thought about their children's video game play. And the parents of children with autism spectrum disorder were more supportive Hmm. than the typically developing parents because they said, look, this actually gives my child an opportunity to interact when they have a difficulty doing this. And then also, you know, we think that their profound interest uh, in these games and activities may lead to some type of career opportunity down the road for them. No, absolutely. They see it as kind of a 
almost a practice or a positive thing outside of the classroom. Now, well, and like you're saying, maybe it's also um, maybe it's an it's an access point to actually connect and learn or train or develop some of their autistic. I mean, because someone with autism's they're hard to relate to, they're hard to connect into. But if you if you have an access point because of a video game, you might be able to maybe do some educating, do some learning, some growth. Yeah, and one one exciting thing is that since video games are so ubiquitous, right? Right. That's one of those things that someone with autism would be able to discuss with a peer at school yes. or in some type of you know a therapeutic intervention or interaction. Um, so we're we're kind of testing the idea that that video games are this great medium. Um, for allowing all types of children to relate with one another. And, you know, it's a place where they can demonstrate skill. Uh, it's a place where it requires teamwork. Yeah. It's also, it's, but it's different. And is it different than, like, golf, right? So kids could go talk about golf, and kids could go golf and relate about golf. But one of the things that seems different about, like, a video game is it actually gives me an access point um, I don't know how to say this. It's it's a it's a it's a it's a medium of communication. It's not just it's just not a shared activity, right? It's it's actually it's somewhere where I can get into their head. Right. So, well, are you are you saying in some ways it allows you to connect with people and yeah, like like but even connecting more just than topically, but connecting kind of at a very base level of how you think. Because can't you watch somebody's video game playing and learn a lot about how they are and how they think? Well, this is, you know, one of the big things now is a lot of kids actually like to spend a lot of time watching people play video games. I know. There are YouTubers who are celebrities who who all they do is play games. And, yeah, I believe so. I mean, they learn a lot about that individual and create a great attachment to that individual through their kind of description and playing of the game. Hmm. So. Yeah, you're not only uh, speaking with someone and learning about them, but, but you're right in a sense that you're kind of observing, you know, what kind of decisions they make. Exactly. And, um, kind of actions they take. I think uh, parents need to get more involved in that. I mean, I'll watch my kids. My kids, like, love to play Madden football, and they will go watch some of the best Madden football players, and they'll just watch their videos. And I'm like, you're not even going to watch a real football game? You're going to watch... You some guy playing a video game, and they're like, "Oh yeah, Dad, this is so cool. Watch this. It's yeah, well, amazing." Real, uh, real football games don't teach you the the exploits or plays that uh-huh. uh, are poorly programmed that will allow you to beat your opponents. <laughs> it's so <laughs> weird. So, but but what's neat, and, and one of the things as somebody who studies leisure in general, is that you know people who do play sports games uh, learn about the sport too. So yeah. they may they may develop an interest in that through playing. What should we do as parents, Ben? When we talk about, I mean, we want to be supportive of this. We want, we want them to have leisure time. We also want to make sure they're developing, that they're not being hindered by their play or their technology use. What would you recommend just to us as, t- as parents to, to, take, to take better advantage of their child's love of video games or other technology? Yeah, well, you know, I think with anything, there's a, there's a threshold of acceptable time, you know, uh, although I'm somebody who thinks that video games are generally good, you know, yeah. playing video games all day is not going to be positive. Uh, you know, you need 
some way to take what you've learned in that game and go out and test it in the real world. Yeah. Uh, so having some type of you know limitations on the amount of time played, uh, I think that playing together with their children is something that would be a great thing to do. Uh, you know, the child at first may be like, oh, mom or dad, I don't want to play a game with you. Um, but seeing what they're doing and, and learning um, about the game may actually show parents, oh, wow, this, this isn't what I thought it was. Well, right. there was a study out of BYU, I don't know if you were familiar with that, about dads playing video games with their daughters increase the bonding between father-daughter. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's cool, right? For these kids that won't talk to you. <laughs> If you could like go through on a video game and actually get them to share, that's that's an access point. Yeah, there, there's something about like we said, like like leisure activities that when you're doing it together, you you may start talking about other things that you wouldn't talk about otherwise. Yeah, you know? and and video games are one that are just very accessible because they're they're in our house, right? Uh, and and one of the things I do like about video games is they require uh, active participation. You know, a lot of people like to clump media together, but television is a passive viewing task. Yeah. You sit and you watch it. Um, but video games require decisions. They require action. They require thought. Uh, and for a parent to do that with the child, uh, they're working through those things together. Well, and that, that I, again, too, just decision-making, right? And A leads to B, B leads to C, so don't do that if you want D. And all of a sudden we get to – I mean, th- these kids are learning – decision grid, decision-making grids, they're learning stuff, and they don't even know it. I assume eventually the future is going to be more about a lot of video games that are there to actually in, to teach you and to help your kids accelerate their learning. Absolutely, and, and, and games have changed in that way. You know, from, what, from when I was a child, games were difficult, and they were punishing. And, yeah, you know, do you remember? It, yeah. And, and, and part of that was because they couldn't be updated. You know, one of the, the neat things about today's, you know, internet game-based era is that games can always be changed. So you release a game and it's too difficult or it has all these problems, you know, you, they can release a software update that changes all of that. Right. You know? uh, but back then they couldn't. But games now, I think, encourage success. You know, most of them don't, uh, you know, at least narrative-based games don't rely on this kind of like you have four lives, you know, and once they're gone, you have to start all over again, you know. It's all about putting you in a situation uh, and when you fail, you know, letting you use the information that you learned to succeed the next time. Hmm. That's great. What um, I mean, that that is, again, it's a learning tool, which, again, where you have to break some of these stereotypes, these assumptions we have about video games. They're not just the devil's workshop, are they? I, I don't think so. Yeah. I, you know, there there are games that, you know, that, that still get pressed that, that are made you know, just to be a nuisance sure. to make people upset, you know, but <laughs> games are such a wide spectrum because there are also games that are just made entirely for, for educational purposes. Yeah. So I think, you know, finding and identifying what are those kind of quote unquote good games um, is a way that we can encourage that more in the industry because if people are buying them, then more people are going to develop games that, right. that have these, you know, uh, growth laden kind of incentives in them. Yeah. We, we've talked to recently another a guy out of Florida State that um, is using video games to help these soldiers that are returning from war get over their PTSD. And the video games, they're, you know, simulators, and they put them into similar war situations, and then they use their, you know, their emotional management skills to 
once they feel hijacked and chemically charged because of the situation and they start to go into traumatic stress issues, they then walk them down and, and they learn to manage their emotion. I mean, a video game. Yeah, so, I've, I've seen that playing playing you know, war-type games can help uh, you know, veterans decrease you know, war-related nightmares yeah. that they have. I, uh, a, a personal case or a particularly interesting one, I have a friend who I play video games with and he's in the military and he only plays war-based games. You know, he's told me before, he's like, well, I don't, I'll tell him, hey, how about, you know, you get this and we play it together. It was like, well, I don't play video games. I, I play this war-based game. You uh, know, and I, that's a real I game. I personally wonder, is, is there something to that? Interesting, yeah. Isn't that interesting? The psychology behind all of this. Well, Ben, we appreciate you again uh, and the great work that you you're doing at Penn State. As we wrap it up, what would you what would you just say? I always ask for the one thing. If you had to think of one thing that parents could do to just to to make sure their kids are healthy when it comes to video gaming and some of their technology use, any advice on that? I I think sit down and, and play games with them. You know, uh, it, it's not not all about monitoring everything that they do right. that would be a difficult situation but if if you as a parent sit down and and experience you know at least for a certain handful of hours some of the same things that they are uh you can get a better grasp on what's going on uh, even possibly playing the game by yourself after they go to bed yeah uh, right so see seeing what it's all about and you know you may come to find that like oh wow this is more developmental than than i thought or you you may come to uncover, you know, some of the, the more challenging uh, sides of those, such as, you know, uh, negative social interactions that may occur and, you know, have a discussion about that at some point yeah. in time as well. And, yeah. And, and but you can now talk informed. Now you're informed enough to know what's going on. I mean, even if your kids are just using language like, whoa, let's not talk like that. Right. <laughs> I mean, come on, your mom's going to kill you if you say that again. That's I think that's I think it's powerful. You can't beat the relationship side of this, which is why your research is fascinating. Ben Hickerson's his name. He's a PhD from Penn State. Uh, folks, that's who's out there trying to figure this out. Thanks again, Ben, for your insight. And parents, remember, it's about the relationship. You know, it's going to be about that in the end. You can demonize technology all you want, but a lot of the research is showing there's incredibly beneficial uses of even video games and. Um, I like it just as a conduit, you know, as a way to connect to my kids, uh, just to go watch them play some of their games. It's just fascinating to me to see how they like to interact and how they do it. We'll take a break. When we come back, do a quick little Coach's Corner and wrap up this technology segment. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, friends. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side. We're doing what we can on this program to give you the tools you need to grow healthier, happier lives top of the morning to you. So here's the question. Would you, Kathy Marie Aiken, what's your middle name? Don't have one. Well, you do now. <laughs> okay. 
Kathy Marie Aiken. By the way, did you see Kathy Lee Gifford's tribute to her husband? I did. Yeah, that, that was, was neat. That was that really was amazing. Neat. It was neat to hear about him when he was younger. I thought that was really sweet. What a great. I mean, that's hard. Can you imagine? She's on the air. What three or four days after her husband yes, died? I noticed that. I was actually, I was actually at the gym, running, and I looked up and saw her, and I thought, wait a minute. Her husband just died. What is she doing there? Yeah. Wow, that, was a, that was a quick return. I think if my spouse died, I wouldn't be back for a year. Yeah, that well, was quick. I mean, if they'll do, if they'll let you do paternity and maternity breaks for like a year mm-hmm. at some places, I kind of feel like I deserve a year. Yeah. I don't, I'm not saying I want my spouse to die, but it would be a great break. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, that, see how horrible that was? That, that is bad. just horrible. Yeah, that did sound bad. Horrible. All I do right. not want that to happen. Now everyone's- Knock on my, oh, my mom's going to be so mad at me on that one. <laughs> um, did you, um, uh, here's the deal. Would you vote for a politician who's seriously overweight? Sure. Like how how overweight? Let's say they've put on a hundred pounds. Ooh. Let's say they they were the Iowa Fair, and they threw back thirty meaty fried things that are on sticks. <laughs> Pork chop on a stick, for example. If they were cleared physically by a doctor, yes, I would still vote for them. Yes, because it's it's an interesting thing. Did you know that? Back in nineteen in the uh, let's see eighteen forty nine to eighteen fifty. All the way through about 1909, 1913, we had our heaviest presidents ever. Theodore Roosevelt, Zachary Taylor, William McKinley, Grover Cleveland, William Howard Taft, all overweight. Well, it's because they didn't have Fitbits back then. I know. They had to, like, count their own steps. <laughs> They'd have somebody work for them. Brother, I want you to count my steps today. <laughs> you bet, Mr. President. Um but today we've got – I mean there's, there's been some issues. You see these candidates. This is the, – the press are looking for a really bad moment with each of these candidates. Oh, every one of them. So they like wait till Jeb Bush bites into his deep fried Snickers bar mm-hmm. on a stick. Oh, that sounds horrible. What do you mean? That sounds fantastic. You think that sounds good? Well, yeah, for a oh. minute. For a minute. <laughs> I feel like this is easy for the media because you can go, oh, if they're not taking care of themselves, how are they going to take care of the country? Right. But see, the, the media probably wouldn't say something. They just wait for him to bite into it, mm-hmm. and then they have this really ugly picture, and they've done it with all of them. Oh, yeah. So if you went, would you choose like a corn dog or would you choose a pork chop on a stick? I'd prefer the corn dog. Actually. I personally would yeah. prefer three. <laughs> <laughs> but Hillary Clinton, Donald Trump, they chose pork chop on a stick. Mm. Jeb Bush went for the deep fried Snickers bar. Mike Huckabee told reporters that his wife had to stop him from overeating in the Iowa pork tent. You know, he got really thin. He lost a lot of weight, and uh-huh. then he's kind of gained it back a little bit, I've yeah. noticed. Yeah. So did Jeb. Jeb lost a lot, right? Mm-hmm. So that's why Jeb deserves a deep fried Snickers bar. See, but you can't you can't win. If you don't buy anything, then they'll say you don't like their food. And, yeah. You know, oh, yeah. You I'd know. buy one of everything. For sure. Do you remember when uh, Hillary Clinton went to Chipotle? I don't know if you remember that. Like she'd never been to Chipotle, and she acted like I do this all the time. I'm a member. I'm a member of the common folk. (laughs) Hand me one of them burrito things. I've got a ten point uh, gift card. (laughs) They got mad at her because she didn't tip. Mm, She she just didn't tip. She didn't tip very well. Well, they say she didn't leave a tip. Would you leave a tip at Chipotle? Apparently, or you're going to be in the news. Oh. You may as well do it. Wow. Anyway, so that's a big deal, apparently. If, if our presidents are uh, overweight, most people said they, they're okay with it. 
No. As long as you can get the job done. Yeah. 64%. Vote, term limits. That's my vote. Yeah. I, I think if you're going to do term limits, you don't need weight limits. Mm-hmm. For sure. If, you can if make they're in there years. forever, then we need weight <laughs> yeah, limits. Yeah, we need some. Yeah. I'm just setting some, out some, some new, new standards laws. there. Um, isn't that crazy? Also, you know, you can't – you just – you can't win. But uh, there's some new data out there I just want everyone to pay attention to. Ashley Madison. You saw that? We talked about that mm-hmm. uh, a few – like a month ago when it came out. Ashley – I don't even want to give him any, any credit. But Ashley Madison's a horrible – I'm just going to say it – website that gets people to have affairs. Right. If you want an affair, go to this website. They'll help you line They'll up an you affair. Up. Horrible. Well, there were millions of names. Millions. That's I mean, what's sad. And they were millions. all a lot of them were paying for protection, basically saying that this name has been scrubbed. You're not mm-hmm. on our mm-hmm. you're not on our site anymore. Well, they were, and millions of people now have had and they have had their names taken off of Ashley Madison and they're now being posted on a website where you can go search and see if your husband your or wife husband is on or there. wife mm-hmm. is on this site. Mm-hmm. Of course, Ash- Ashley Madison, I believe, is saying, well, their names are there, but they didn't do anything. They were just looking, but we never hooked them up with anybody. Well, here's the crazy thing. Also, their credit card information's mm-hmm. on there. Right. So there you go. So you'll find out if you're on the list whether you go look at it or not. Mm-hmm. Just watch your credit. Right statement That's and right. see yep. what happens to your credit yep. score because when it starts dropping i'd go check the ashley madison site because <laughs> everyone's using your credit card for heaven's sakes oh no anyway crazy stuff uh let's get to the headlines let's go talk to kathy find out what else is going on in the news good morning everyone hundreds of california national guard soldiers have joined the battle against numerous wildfires in that state while thousands more are being trained evacuations are being called in for certain areas of california and washington state National Guard member Matt Egan said his team is wearing thin. I'm not looking for an end in sight. I mean, we could see September, October being just as active with fire behavior as we're seeing now if we don't see significant rainfall. An estimated 95 fires are burning across more than 1 million acres of land in seven western states. 200 active-duty soldiers will be sent in to help this weekend. Three people are missing and presumed dead after a landslide in Sitka, Alaska. A state of emergency has been ordered there following two and a half inches of rain that fell in 24 hours, causing the slide. Jared Fogel, the former spokesman for Subway, is expected to accept accept a plea deal today on charges of possessing child pornography. The home of the 37-year-old was raided last month where computers and DVDs were reportedly seized. Last night, a Subway official tweeted that the company no longer has a relationship with Fogel and had no further comment. Hillary Clinton continues to downplay the controversy over her private email server that was handed over last week to the FBI. Hundreds of emails have been flagged by the State Department for potentially containing classified information. At a press conference in Las Vegas yesterday, Clinton said she regrets this has become such a big issue and said what she did was legally permitted. The FBI continues to investigate. On the Republican side, Donald Trump continues to lead in the GOP polls with 22 percent of the primary vote. According to the latest Real Clear Politics polling average, Jeb Bush is next at 10 percent. Bush was asked about Trump's talk on taking away automatic citizenship to children born to a legal immigrants inside the country. That's a constitutional right. Mr. Trump can say that he's for this because people are frustrated that it's abused and we ought to fix the problem rather than take away rights that are constitutionally endowed. 
The next GOP debate is scheduled for September 16th at the Ronald Reagan Library in California. Another Democratic senator has voiced his disapproval of the Iran nuclear deal. New Jersey Senator Robert Menendez joined fellow Democrat Chuck Schumer saying he will not vote for the agreement. The House and Senate have to vote by September 17th on a resolution of disapproval sought by Republicans who are aiming to sink the deal. President Obama is trying to gather enough support to sustain a veto of the resolution. And if you're looking for some campaign gear, Matt, from your favorite presidential candidate. We have some yes. really good ideas for you. What? Donald Trump has a mini megaphone you can buy oh. for $8. Wow. I'm guessing you just use it and call your opponent stupid. Yeah. Idiot. You, know, you dummy. Jeb Bush, he's trying to reach the Hispanic community, so he's selling a guacamole for $75. Though <laughs> wow. The, his With... guacamole recipe is not included. But when you, And once you've dug through all the guac, you can mm-hmm. get down to vote Jeb Bush. There you go. Right, probably printed on the bottom. $10 will get you a Ted Cruz bumper sticker that says, this vehicle makes right turns only. (laughs) And if you love to barbecue, you can purchase an apron from Hillary Clinton's campaign with Grillery Clinton on the front. That's kind of lame. That runs $20. And Rand Paul's campaign is apparently offering Clinton's hard drive for $100. Wow, that's yeah. a great idea. But don't worry, his camp says it comes completely wiped clean. It's wiped bada clean. Boom, bada boom. <laughs> Isn't that funny? Yeah. Do you think, when was the last time you think Hillary turned on the grill and grilled up <laughs> grilled something? Grilled up an apron on. Yeah, never. Like, I'm, really, I'm I, I would never. love to know does she do that? I mean, she's just an average person. I, you know, I doubt it. I'm yeah. kind of thinking she has her own chef and her own maid and everything. I think what they need, that would be really great. This is what I want to see a picture of. I want to see a picture of Donald Trump at a grill mm-hmm. with grillery Clinton, Clinton uh, apron on <laughs> and his red hat that he wears. It says, make America great again. Is, is that America what it says? Again? I believe, yeah. Making America great again. Yeah. You, let me just point something out that seems pretty obvious. Mm-hmm. Uh, it seems like he only wears that hat. When he's outside, outside in windy situations. Right. Yeah, that comb over kind of goes a little ha- yeah. haywire. That's the problem on. with a comb over. Mm-hmm. They look great when you're inside, <laughs> but when you're outside and they're whipping like a flag, like yeah. three feet away from you. <laughs> Watch out. Then you know you got a comb over. (laughs) You have some video of some guy getting hit in the face three feet away from Donald. I'm so rude. I'm having a rude day today. I don't know what it is. I must have taken my root pill. That's what my mom would have said. Hey, uh, do you feel secure in your job? Back in the day, do you remember when your parents would talk about the good old days when they would have a job for 30 years and get their watch? Oh, those were the days. Well, apparently, folks, we now live in the age of insecurity. We have to figure out how we are going to be secure when most of us are going to have many, many, many careers, maybe seven, eight, nine, ten different, not just jobs, but actually careers. How do we manage insecurity and our families in the age of insecurity? We'll be speaking with Dr. Allison Pugh. Folks, she's written the book on it. She's a sociology professor, associate professor of sociology, and is going to be talking to us about the Tumbleweed Society, working and caring in the age of insecurity. Stick with us, folks. This is The Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back, giving you the tools you need.
Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Did you know that last year Hewlett Packard eliminated 34,000 jobs? Don't blame Carly Fiorina. She's not there anymore. JCPenney and Sprint announced cuts, while J.P. Morgan Chase has cut 20,000 people from its workplace or workforce since 2001. Folks, it creates a spirit of insecurity, doesn't doesn't it? You know, if you remember back in the day, there was the golden age when we had retirement plans. You know, everything was so good. You had a job, you'd go have a 30-year career or so, you'd get your gold watch at the end of it. Well, that idea with a good education, you know, all you needed was the good education and that you're set up. You'll have a career, you'll have a pension, life will be good. Today, though, things have changed. Have you noticed? And uh, in, in reality, people don't expect to just have one job anymore over their entire lifetime. They know they're probably going to be rotating, having to reinvent careers. Dr. Allison Pugh is going to join us right now. She's on the phone with us, and has, she has conducted a study to examine how the insecurity of the job market is affecting our families today. Dr. Pugh joins us right now. Uh, Dr. Allison Pugh, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Matt. Thank you, and thanks for doing the research. Um, I've, I've always wondered, I, I remember sitting down with my grandfather-in-law, <laughs> and he, I mean, he basically told me, Matt, uh, by the way, a product of the Depression, Look, Matt, get a job, and when you get it, hang on to that thing and write it for as long as you possibly can. (laughs) And I was quitting a really good job at the time, and he looked at me like I was insane. It's a different age, isn't it? Mm-hmm. It is. A lot of the pe- people I spoke to have stories just like that, where they're remembering their fathers or their grandfathers, and a really you know, stable, long-term relationship with one or m- maybe two employers. Yeah. V- very different today. Well, and just that is interesting because if I only have to learn kind of the political system of two employers— um, that seems like I could get pretty good at that. But if I'm going to have 10 or 15, it's it's a much more complicated world. Mm-hmm. It is. Um, I want to say that for some people, it's a better world. Yeah. Um, uh, some people found working for just one or two employers your whole life. There are some downsides to that. You um, you're kind of you can be kind of feel kind of stuck. Um, you're, you know, kind of stuck with the same people, maybe mm-hmm. stuck with the same work. It doesn't feel as if there's much opportunity for growth. Um, if, you know, if certain people just know you in a certain way, you can kind of just start replicating that pa- those patterns, those social patterns, those in that political environment again and again and again, and you're not extending yourself. And so that's the argument on the other side. You know, some people really gain great benefit from being able to leave and go into new environments and explore different parts of themselves. And it seems like you changed the equation because it used to be very one-sided where my company would offer me a pension and some security, but I I pretty much, they owned me. I was beholden Mm -hmm. to them. But now in this new kind of economy, in the new market, um, you know, I'm not necessarily guaranteed any security, but I'm also more free, and I'm not I'm not beholden to anyone. That's how it's supposed to work, I would say, and maybe the best case scenario. That's the ideal. Of, 
of this fairly kind of cold, rational exchange. Yeah. Um, but what I found in my in my own research was didn't didn't really um, didn't exactly mirror that hmm. that idea. Instead, what I found was that yes, employers don't owe em- workers very much, so workers didn't expect much of oh, their employers. Oh, interesting. Yeah. But the way they talked about themselves, they expected a lot of themselves. They, there was a kind of a cultural idea that you're a moral person if you can say, I give 100% of myself at work or 150% or 200%. You know, they kept talking about what percent, and it was always 100 or more <laughs> yeah. that they gave at work. And so there was this sense of, I have to give all of myself to my employer, but I didn't hear anybody expecting that from their employers to them. Interesting. What I ended up thinking of as calling it as a one-way honor system where the worker is obligated, but the employer is not. Well, and, and I guess too, I'm also obligated to answer my phone and to be available to you at times I might not normally have been available. I mean, it used to be you'd work nine to five and you'd kind of just, you were done. Mm-hmm. But now it's they they can call you, and if it's the office, you better answer. Exactly. We've just read in a recent story in the New York Times about work practices in uh, Amazon. Amazon, yeah, where you know you get an email, and some of those emails come after midnight, and if you don't answer immediately, there's a text saying, "Did you get my email? Where's your reply?" Hmm. It's so true, isn't it? It's so it's actually it's it's changed a lot. But what what are what are you noticing the tension is doing to the family and to to the people in our personal life? Yeah, um, there is a strong impact I found, um, uh, and I found it actually varied really dramatically by class or you know whether we're talking about professional managerial employees versus uh, low wage or or middle lower middle to working class people. Yeah, where the people who um, are in you know the kind of professional managerial work they you know are able to somehow separate the impact of this kind of broad scale trends of insecurity from their home lives so and part of that might be because they experience it more like flexibility and less like insecurity hmm. so whatever the reason when they talk about their home lives they uh, are more likely to talk about, you know, commitment and, you know, a kind of pragmatic attitude to to a long-term enduring relationship. And these, this find, these findings are actually borne out by quantitative data that shows us that uh, people who have college educations are much more likely to have um, longer relationships and that their divorce rates for those who are married, those their divorce rates are down to like mid-1960s, late-1960s levels. Yeah. So that's pretty extraordinary uh, when you think that is. about it. That is. And it's impacting, and, isn't it? Oh. Yeah, exactly. And then on the other side of the class ladder is um, the notion that uh, these, you know, these are workers that – feel abandoned by uh, the loss of a social contract in which employers don't owe them anything. Mm -hmm. And so those people I did find a rather extreme impact on their family lives. Wow. I mean, the word abandoned is a really interesting word because you're abandoned, but you're still going to work every day. So I'm assuming there's a correlation between um, 
what is the big buzzword everyone's using? Um, engagement about employees being disengaged. They're not. I mean, they go to work, but they're not passionate. They're not loving it. They're not aggressively doing what they do. They're they're more disengaged, and maybe that has something to do with feeling like you're abandoned. Yes, it's possible. I'm kind of interested that that's that is the new buzzword. You're right. There are you know there is research into engagement now where there where there wasn't before. Yeah. But engagement is kind of an interesting thing that people are looking at now because. To me, it captured the one-way honor system. It captured how much are workers dedicated to you and, and, your, and your workplace, and does, it doesn't really talk about employer loyalty. Yeah, it's not bilateral. It's not, yeah, it's not taking care of both sides of the equation, is it? Yeah. Interesting, anyway, yeah. For the, for the low-income people or the lower-income people, I found really two kinds of responses. It wasn't a one-for-one, one, like you feel abandoned at work, so you abandon other people right. at home. Yeah. It, wasn't, it wasn't like that. Instead, it was, it was almost like they went in extremes in either way. They either talked about independence all the time, and it was kind of like a, well, we're now living in a kind of uh, who-can-you-count-on sort of world, and that's true at work, and it's true at home, and so I'm going to count on me and that kind of thing. There were, there were people who talked like that, but then there was another group that seemed to throw themselves into commitment at home and in kind of extreme, level, extreme levels so that you know, the insecurity and the abandonment we see at work, well, that's not what we're going to get at home. And mm. it was this kind of uh, spoken fervor about their fealty, about their fidelity. Yeah. And uh, the burdens that they um, took on were, were, I found, extraordinary. And those people I actually came to think of as commitment heroes, kind of, you know, running back into the fire. Yeah, they're the fire. Yeah, the paramedic running back in to save the life. Exactly. And the life is theirs, I guess. Yes. Although for the commitment heroes, it's also for the kind of needy people around them, actually. Yeah. Um, so, you know, a lot of at the lower ends of our class stratified society, you have a lot of extreme need. Um, and these people are doing their best to kind of carry these burdens, these kind of backbreaking burdens um, by themselves. Mm. So, you know, you'll have the person with a, you know, kind of special needs children or Alzheimer's afflicted parents or mentally uh, disturbed or, you know, a mentally ill spouse or, you know, just the kind of, uh, I don't know, vagaries of need that afflict all of us, but Mm -hmm. that that, uh, kind of weigh particularly heavily on people who don't have a lot of resources to kind of ease the burden. And yet they're there. Some of the people are there. Again, Another portion of people are out there saying, I'm going to depend on me. Yeah. You know, that's all we can do nowadays. Yeah. I'm an island. I right. can do it myself. It's, right. It really is an interesting dynamic. I love, I love what we're learning here, Allison. Again, we're speaking with Dr. Allison Pugh, Associate Professor of Sociology at the University of Virginia, also the author of the book Tumbleweed Society, Working and Caring in the Age of Insecurity. We'll take a break, come back, continue this discussion Find out, you know, what are we supposed to do? How, what are the long-term consequences of, of some of these approaches of the one-way honor system she's been talking about or the one-way contract? It seems, you know, it's very unilateral today. Uh, it's not as mutually beneficial. It doesn't seem like um, 
at least we maybe we don't feel like it is. We'll take a break. Come back. Continue this discussion, folks. Insecurity. Do you feel it? If so, stick with us. We'll give you the uh, the insight, the tools as to how to maybe create a more secure state of being. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, today we're talking about your job security. Do you feel like you're more secure in your job? Do you feel like you're partnering, you are mutually benefiting, kind of working with your employer together, unified? Or do you feel like it's kind of one-sided? Like, you know, they're not even, you know, they'll, you're replaceable. They may not even be loyal to you. They could just close shop, and yet you're sitting here killing yourself. You're going to give 120%. Dr. Allison Pugh joins us. She is a professor at the University of um, uh, Virginia, is an associate professor there of sociology, and is the author of a, a really interesting book called The Tumbleweed Society, Working and Caring in an Age of Insecurity. And she's here enlightening us on uh, the impact of our of our employment system and how we just how we feel employed and and what we do with our employers and in our job market and and the impact it creates on feeling insecure and and that the impact that has on our families. Again, welcome back, Allison Pugh. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. A really interesting. I mean, I, I, I it's funny. I haven't thought of. It's a, a lot of times it just seems like it's a very one-way system where we don't have the security we used to have. And I guess that's what we used to give, right? So we'd work hard and show loyalty and they would give us security. But now it seems like employment, they're not guaranteeing security. And yet a lot of us are still giving a lot of loyalty. That's certainly what a lot uh, many workers told me. Um, and here's the kind of shocking news, or, or the news that was shocking to me, yeah. is that economists have been reporting pretty recently, you know, over the last couple of years, that this actually uh, that does not improve uh, the firm's bottom line. Huh. And so many of the people that I talk to shrug their shoulders about this. They kind of go, well, insecurity, you know, it's just the way things are now. It's not a good way. We, we lament the way that things are today. Um, it used to be better, but this is the way America has to stay competitive in a globalized economy. Hmm. But um, economists um, have found that actually uh, layoffs do not improve a uh, firm's uh, shareholder price. Interesting, um, they yeah. They don't improve productivity. They don't improve. Well, we knew they didn't improve worker morale. Right, right. But, you know, there's all these negative consequences that we knew about. But the, the shocking news to me was that it also doesn't have a positive um, financial impact. It ends up costing and, them more. Exactly. And uh, so you have to wonder if it is costing the worker a lot, both 
in the workplace in terms of morale, job satisfaction, job satisfaction, job engagement, and outside in families. And it's also costing the employer. Mm-hmm. Then why are we doing this? Yeah, who's running the ship here? <laughs> exactly. That's interesting. Um, I, mean, I mean, really, because we would think if we just cut, you know, just cut back, just cut back. But if cutting back ends up making you lose more, and then, by the way, everyone's working more, that's probably why you're losing more, because everyone has to do more. Right. And there's some sense, I think, um, I don't know whether we have the the full mechanisms, the full explanations for why Mm -hmm. it doesn't work. You'd think cut cut labor costs and that's going to improve your bottom bottom line. And I think that it's actually kind of a mixed story. Sure. Um, But certainly some of it has to do with uh, how much worker, your workers are going to want to partner with you if they see that this partnership is short term at best. Yeah, right. Um, sure. Well, I mean, yeah, if all of a sudden you're you're assuming they're going to outsource your division. Yeah. Even if it's not going to happen for 3 years, you're going to start scrambling. Yeah. And and uh it's it, you lose the sense of a team that probably contributes to things like productivity mm-hmm. and a positive it's, uh, financial impact. It's interesting insight, Allison, because as I sit there and um, I just watch my LinkedIn feeds and I keep getting all of these messages about what a great day we live in to be creative and innovative. And mm-hmm. I'm sitting there thinking, man, a lot of these seem to be coming from big companies. <laughs> but, I mean, it might not be that as an employee, you oh, I mean, you do, like like you were talking earlier. There are benefits. Some people just inherently – like the creativity opportunities, you know, the, the more they're growing more. But there, it seems like there's a, a large group of people, and maybe this is what you're seeing impacted in the political process right now, mm-hmm. just a lot of angst, a lot of people that are angry. Yeah, I mean, the trouble is we really have a two-tier economy. And you could argue that all the stability um, of uh, decades past benefited one kind of employee, and all the insecurity and the churn benefit, benefit another kind of employee now. And we've almost kind of flipped yeah, yeah. who we're serving. And uh, n- we're not serving both at any time. <laughs> mm, that's right. Is, um, wh- where do you see this going? How, how, what's the long-term consequence of the process? I would assume, almost like every other system, it's going to then invert later and <laughs> completely flip and make the other side mad for years. Um, what, what do you see the long-term impact on families, on love life? I mean, I mean, the, I see it just as a relationship coach. I have t- a lot of couples that are are really struggling in this job market, and just even being able to make a marriage work on top of all of that. Yeah, I think the you know kind of economic impact on families can't be underestimated. Um, but I would say the long-term impact, it's, it's really hard to be a, a futurist. Here. Yeah. I, I'm not sure I can predict it because on the one hand, you think, okay, there will be a pushback. There will be um, some reversals. Uh, I, I do think people are becoming more aware of the kind of corrosive impact of um, the great inequality um, that we have seen uh, grow in the United States over the past 30 years. So what will be the steps that we take to um, curtail some of that inequality? Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's hard to predict. There are, 
part of my message here is that, you know, if it's not benefiting the employer <laughs> and it's certainly not benefiting the worker, then really we should be able to build a kind of broad-based coalition behind workplace reforms. Yeah. Um, and there are models out there. Um, uh, you know, we're always, you know, people are always pointing to Europe and Europe is a very different set of countries. Right. Very different um, set of economies. And we have such excellent kind of economic dynamism. Yeah. And we don't want to kill that. But when you think about, for example, uh, Denmark and the Netherlands um, offer some kind of a compromise, I think. They have something, they pursue uh, a, a, a tactic called flex security where they actually reduce the kind of infamous, very difficult labor market regulations that constrain employers over there, mm -hmm. that constrain them from firing people. And so they, they reduce some of that. They want to give them their employers flexibility. But at the same time, they combine that with extending greater provisions for security for workers. Oh, interesting. Yeah. That, they mean like more extensive unemployment excuse me, provisions and some income support. And they just kind of are acting like their economy has both employers and workers in it. Uh, interesting. Yeah. They're, they're covering the whole gamut, aren't they? Yeah. I mean, cause it's interesting. I have a relative that works in a really large multinational company in England uh, and France. I think he was in France at the time. And he was running a huge division, but firing a French employee was near impossible. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. and it really was it was like he it took him two years, <laughs> and he had to prove that no one else in the country of France could do this one job, and they had to import somebody. And it was a huge deal to the point that he almost just wanted to give up and leave the mediocre one in. So I guess that's one extreme, huh? And then the other right. extreme is and no one really wants that, or right. I'd say few Americans want that. Yeah, you know, right. It, the and they pay for that with, um, you know, a kind of more, a, a, a more uh, kind of stuck economic system with higher unemployment and just not not the inventiveness, not the entrepreneurialism that you find in, in the United States. But I have to I have to hope. And I think there are many who hope with me that we can kind of chart a third way. Yeah. No, it does. Well, can you think of a company that does it well? Because just as a business leader, I would think, okay, this isn't helping my bottom line. There's got to be a better way. Um, and I mean, you hear the Amazon story, and yet, so does it? Does this almost? Does it need to come more from business than government? I actually. I think there is a or happy medium. kind of a neglected space for employers at this kind of conversational table. Yeah. You know, I think um, so much, but when we have this conversation between right and left, yeah. the right often will say something like, it's character, people right. just need to work more or something yeah. like that. And the left will be like, it's, you know, poverty. Right. Uh, we you don't understand. More income. Yeah. And I really feel like it's employment. Mm -hmm. and so we need to talk to them. We need to bring employers more into this conversation. And it's not the individual and the government mm -hmm. alone, I would say. It's also employers. Well, I and just I heard there are employers there that are. are doing it right. Um, the ones that I know of aren't really the ones you read about in the newspaper. Yeah. They're more like family firms mm -hmm. and um, kind of a, uh, even startups that um, I've heard of that kind of might reduce hours for many people across the board rather than firing. You know, yeah. they'll take 
they'll take steps um, to keep people. Well, I just heard in uh, just a conversation with a friend who works for Adobe that they just changed their rules to be a year of maternity and and, right. f- and leave and I think paid even. And, right. I'm, and I'm sitting there thinking, well, man, that would sure create some sense of loyalty. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and that's actually a, an increasing trend among like yeah. very high profile, profile companies building in leave. And I, you know, leave – I mean, of any kind, yeah. parental, you know, sick leave, um, you know, that kind of thing is going to help workers give more of themselves to the workplace, be more successful workers, right. you know, so it's a, obviously a good thing. I do want to say that a lot of those companies also have very intense workplace oh, cultures. Horrible, yeah. So Well, and again, we're we're already behind many countries in Africa on that one. <laughs> Right. So now we're trying to catch up to African countries. I think it was Zimbabwe or somebody has one of the most advanced or leave programs ever. Um, I mean, I guess that that's this is and I think maybe that's part of the problem. Again, we're speaking with Dr. Allison Pugh from University of Virginia about um, job security. But it's almost I think you hit it. The minute we, we polarize it politically. It's like everybody just goes to their camp with their data that's so common to them, mm-hmm. and they just stay stuck in their paradigm. And we need somehow to break that, don't we? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We do. Now, there are things we can do to encourage employers to kind of be their better selves, Yeah. Um, to, to kind of um, incentivize the kind of um, relationship with their workers that benefit them, their workers, and society. You know, um, there's... Um, policies like uh, there's something called short-time compensation, which involves the use of unemployment insurance to enable kind of work sharing instead of layoffs. Um, You can also kind of build incentives for workplace training, um, and you can improve accountability for those companies that try to just use subcontracted or outsourced labor and then escape kind of um, national notice for how you treat your employees, that kind of thing. There are ways to shine the light on those who are doing it well and also encourage encourage employers to keep people on. Yeah. Well, and I mean, again, there's nothing greater than working for a company that you believe in and that you love and that you feel partnered with. I mean, it's it really is that in and of itself is a huge competitive competitive advantage, I would assume. Um, yeah. as, as we wrap this up, uh, I need I want you to teach us or just tell us what what would you suggest we do if I'm just the average middle American trying to handle the insecurity, not I'm not going to handle it on a global level. I'm not going to go change the structure of my company. What should I do to weather it better? Mm, such a good question. I guess my feeling is when I was interviewing these people who had experienced stable work and other people who had experienced insecure work, the biggest difference I noticed was this kind of brittle brittle approach to life among the insecurely employed. Huh, yeah. they, they were very intense about um, the betrayals that they were tracking. And what I was seeing was that they weren't really tracking these betrayals at work and instead were very intense about, you know, kind of duty and betrayal that they saw in the home. Yeah. And those were very different 
kind of conversations than the people that I was talking to who had stable work, uh, even among kind of lower wage people. Hmm. And those people spoke about compromise and settling and things weren't necessarily perfect. Yeah. They weren't, they weren't joyful that necessarily, although some of them could be sometimes. So if there's anything to do, I mean, I, I have a lot of sympathy for yeah, people yeah. That, who endure um, kind of abandonment or insecurity uh-huh. in the workplace. But I would say to help you live your life, um, if you can try and kind of turn down the intensity with which you're approaching the betrayals in your life, you might try and find some gratitude. I know these are, I don't I know, it's hard. lecture it, these people because they have hard lives. Yeah. So it's really hard to even say something, but I'm the, just commenting on what I noticed was the difference between no, them. That's huge. Uh, in, in my world, they call that resiliency. Maybe, maybe yeah. being able to bend, you called it brittleness. The opposite, I guess would be just remain resilient. You know, don't, yeah. don't be rigid and angry, even though it's hard to tell you to not be yeah, rigid and angry. Easy for, yeah. for other people to say. Yeah, especially yeah, people so with I great jobs. A right. lot of sympathy here. No, totally. No, totally. Well, I, it's a, I think it's a great discussion, and um, it's a read. I think that's totally worth it. The book's called The Tumbleweed Society, Working and Caring in an Insecure Age. Dr. Allison Pugh, thank you so much for your insight. Thank you. I really enjoyed our talk. I did too. It really, and I think, I think everyone, boy, people are hurting. Yeah. So any other way that we think about this... Um, we got to watch out and be careful to not just try to tell people what to feel, but let's start feeling for each other. And man, if you're an employer, come on, do something in your own world. Buy, you know, buy in, get your people to buy in. You'll actually see results. Um, it's, it's a risk. I get it. But change is, is, is it's, it's essential. Uh, We'll take a break. Come back and do a quick uh, little wrap-up, folks. You're listening to The Matt Townsend Show. Couldn't do it without you. Stick with us. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. When you think about it, wow, times they are changing. And uh, your ability to be resilient to the change, it's going to make or break you. You know, no, she gave great advice, Allison Pugh did. You know, at some point, I can't tell you how to be. It's just you. That's it's your life. But, man rigidity, brittleness, um, it's just set you up to crack. And you see it. I mean, you see the pressure that people are going through. There is, there's something going on when you think about middle America, the middle class. And I I think uh, that's an important part of this. You know, for years, certain people have gotten ahead, while others seem to just be digging deeper and deeper holes. So, if we're going to depend on the government to go create these solutions for us, um, I, I kind of feel like good luck. It might be better to focus your energy and your time not on necessarily changing the world, but just changing yourself. Let's just start with what you can do to be more flexible. Let's start with what you can do 
to to be a better employee, to learn, to grow. I mean, think about it too. Do you bring to the company something that's that no one else can bring? And I personally believe every single human being is bringing something to the company that no one else has got. It just might be your personality. It might be your ability to be a team player to keep everyone else happy and positive. But man, you got to know what that is. Because a lot of times if you're just, you know, filling the hole and making the widget, you may not be you may not be feeling like you're amounting to much. So you might want to dig deeper and find out, is there something deeper that you're just not bringing because you're just too worried about doing the widget? Um, it's an it's an interesting dynamic we're living in. And it does. You can feel like it, you can feel the flip flop, can't you? A lot of people, you just be, used to be so secure being on your assembly line. You just had it. It was still a widget, but you still had your income and you were still done by three in the afternoon. The next shift would start. <sighs> but it's it's not there anymore. So when we when we think about our our lives, our jobs, our family, let me just suggest uh you're you. You're the only you you've got. Dig deeper and um become the change, I guess, in your own life. Ah, oh, it's it's so so tough. And then it's got to be frustrating to then watch people throw out answers, you know, in your political world as you're trying to choose a president. And they're throwing out answers that you're like, what? And I think it's hard for a lot of us to believe anything is going to get accomplished by anybody. It just doesn't seem likely. So if we can't trust everybody else, you got to find someone you can trust. And I might start with yourself. Uh, It also probably would be a good idea to connect to a higher power somewhere along the way. You need something, don't you? A hope, a vision, a bigger picture. People without vision perish. That's what the Bible says. Anyway, think about you. What do you need to bring to your life, uh, to your job that's uniquely you? And deliver it. And I bet when you do, you'll feel a peace that you probably haven't felt before. That's the Coach's Corner, folks. Hour number two of the Matt Townsend Show in the can. Done. Signed, sealed, delivered. Stick with us, folks. We're going to come back uh, next hour. Got some interesting stuff coming up about um, the important role of fathers. You won't believe it, folks, but they actually may be impacting the mental abilities of their children. Stick with us. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, uh, you know, we've talked a lot about on the show the importance of dads and and the impact that dads have on their children after they're born, right? You know, raising their kids, helping them grow up, being a coach maybe of their little league team or a supporter, a provider, a good example. Even just the the impact of a father, you know, playing uh, roughhousing with his kids and how that might help with some emotional management. But uh, in some current research, I wanted to find out um, even more about the impact that a dad can have on our children before they're born. And there's some really interesting research that's coming out of the University of uh, Indiana in Bloomington, Indiana. Um, And Dr. Sachiko Koyama is an associate research professor there in the medical science program at Indiana University. She's here today to talk about some research she's done on mice 
that suggests that the male pheromones may contribute to the offspring's mental development um, before before even pregnancy. Again, we're so grateful to have you, Dr. Sachiko Koyama. Thanks for joining us on the phone today. You're welcome. Um, so thank ta- you for the invitation. You bet. And, and talk to us about this research. Uh, you're, you're finding in some of your work with mice that dads are impacting their children even before they're born. Mm-hmm. Well, um, I think I will pre- uh, need to say a little bit more precisely. Yeah, please do. Um, <laughs> yes. Um, so what we did was um, we there are some male pheromones that in, in mice that were identified in the 1980s. And so these pheromones um, had the impact of uh, making females to come into estrus. And so what we were doing first was uh, there are studies showing that when female mice are exposed to male soldier, the neurogenesis in the brain of the, these females becomes enhanced. Hmm. So what I was thinking about doing was, well, what I was doing was um, exposing females to synthetic analogs of the pheromones to identify the exact precise pheromone itself that enhanced the female's adult neurogenesis. And then what happened was when I was working on these things, um, this project, I noticed that from several days after the exposure started, um, I, I thought there's a change in the, the, the way I feel the females in my hand. And I thought, because this pheromone is the pheromone that induces females to come into estrus, it makes changes in the hormone secretion. So I thought maybe other than adult neurogenesis, maybe it will affect somewhere else that is under the control of um, hormone secretion, like estrogen or prolactin. And so I first thought maybe I'm doing something like um, aesthetic treatment to the females, like uh, making change in the hormone secretion, and then the skin is becoming maybe smoother. Hmm. And so I talked with um, a person I know whose profession is skin and mammary gland, and he said that's really highly possible. And so it's nice to check the mammary gland because mammary gland is more sensitive to the change of the hormones. Hmm. And so I checked the mammary gland, and I found that it's really expanded after the exposure to male pheromones. Wow. And then (laughs) it was really amazing, and it was really excited. Yeah. And so what happened after that was I wondered if there's a difference like that, uh, what happens if the females are mated? So I mated the females exposed to male pheromone and also the females that were not exposed to pheromone, male pheromone. But when they are mated, so these control group females that were not exposed to male pheromone beforehand will be exposed to males also because they are going to be mated. And so I wondered if these control group will catch up or if the difference of the mammary gland will stay and the pheromone group females will um, have still have a larger mammary gland after like pregnancy or after they gave birth, and they really did. And so then I thought, what will happen to the pups if they 
receive milk from this really well-developed mammary gland, mothers that have this nicely developed mammary gland, what happens to the pups? And so I did some uh, experiments to test their um, cognitive function, and they were smarter. Wow. Okay, so, so let, let me get, let, let me make sure I get this straight because mm-hmm. you're a scientist and I'm not. Um, mm-hmm. So there was always there's always been historically studies that if a female is uh, is um, somehow uh, near a, a male mouse and pheromones are secreted by the male mouse, mm-hmm. it, it would impact the the female mice in a variety of ways. Mm-hmm. But one of the things you then studied and found out is that uh, the mammary glands of those females that were exposed to the male pheromone, they changed, they were they were different, they were mm-hmm. bigger, I guess more productive. Yes, more, yes it was larger, well-developed, and after the, they gave birth, I, um, it was heavier. And so actually now I'm trying to analyze the milk composition. Oh, wow. And if there's any specific milk composition that affects the brain development of the offspring, that will be really interesting. And I think that is possible to apply, apply to humans. Well, so help me understand this, because then the, the, the babies of those females with more uh, pro- pronounced or stronger, bigger mammary glands, mm-hmm. those children, the, those children the, their babies actually mm-hmm. showed mental development that was higher than those babies that weren't exposed to that. Is that because the babies carried different genes, or was it? Are you really thinking it's coming from the milk? It's coming from the milk, actually. Interesting. Uh, well, um, maybe milk, or maybe the maternal behavior is also affecting. But actually, what I also did was I um, did a thing called cross fostering. So, as one of the experiments, and on the day the females gave birth. If there's a female in this pheromone group mothers and a female in the control group mothers uh, giving birth on the same day, I exchange the pups to see if there's a um, genetical difference yeah. in the pups. And <clears throat> the result was actually the mother determines the results. Huh. So it's so not the, the pups. The pups aren't naturally smarter because of this or different. They're just, Mm -hmm. the pups are the same, but the mom, uh, her milk is apparently different. Mm -hmm. Milk or... Or or her treatment, yeah. Yes. So the pups that were born to the control group mothers but uh, raised by the pheromone group mothers were smarter. That is, I mean, that's pretty, that's groundbreaking, right? (laughs) It was just really exciting. (laughs) Because if that's the case... Then it tells us two things. I mean, dads matter because they change moms in yeah. preparation for children, having children. And yeah. also, apparently, um, does the pheromone need to stay, or is it just the mom's already made the change? Does that male pheromone need to stay uh, consistent for yeah. the for the same effects to to continue to happen? That is the hard part uh, to say precise. So what we used was. Um, it's called synthetic analogs of pheromone. So, and that is really nice. To, I think that was a um, big contribution because we could control the amount of exposure, the frequency of exposure, and even in the mice, not all the female, uh, not all the males, are secreting the same amount of pheromone, male okay. pheromone. 
So not yeah. everybody can provide the same influence on female mice. Hmm. Now, you know, that's, I think that's interesting, isn't it? Because, um, so, so I mean, you've got so much to now go figure out, I guess, too. Are you assuming that um, these these same results will translate to mm-hmm. humans? I actually think there's high possibility. But um, it's also necessary to say that just like in case of mice, there's the pheromone is not secreted uh, in the same way in each male. In case of human, also it's right. of course different. And in case of human, we all walk out and yeah. <laughs> and here and there, and so it's it's really hard to control, like in my sure. case. And so a lot of factors affect and how to control these frequency of exposure or the concentration will be really um, difficult and. Mm, that is the hard part. Yeah. So I would say more like if if it is possible to, um, if we can identify the milk composition and use something like this as a supplement to the milk, that will be a more um, precise way of um, enhancing the brain development of the children. Yeah. But... Um, this really is just what we are hoping to do. Sure. And yeah, you've got your work cut out for you, don't you? But, but I mean, honestly, it seems like it's a it's a pretty important um, finding because if, mm-hmm. if it does apply to humans as well, then mm-hmm. a it talks about maybe the that impact that 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 pheromone can have up front. Mm-hmm. It also, mm-hmm. I guess, talks about too. Uh, the importance of, I mean, feeding and 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 how and I mean, who would have just thought that the breast milk? I mean, I guess that's probably been arguments for years that breast milk makes kids smarter. But yes. best breast milk from uh, the mothers that had this pheromone. Mm-hmm. Um, that that's that's really interesting. Now all of a yeah. sudden we can you know <laughs> create even smarter kids. Another thing I'm actually thinking, really interested in, and haven't done yet, is if this is really through the milk, and the milk composition is really better, it might be affecting the immune system also. So that is also something that is really nice to try. It's, this is just my one of my yeah. dreams, but <laughs> future plan. Um, I'm thinking about working on that also. Isn't that interesting? And pheromone, though, is is something that every human emits, right? We all have pheromones. Mm-hmm. It's just, mm-hmm. but it's the male pheromone that influences the female pheromone mm-hmm. and it changes her mammary glands um, Yes, in the mice. There are actually female pheromone also. And in the study I did um, about the neurogenesis, uh-huh. so the female pheromone, male pheromone, enhance this, this cell proliferation in the brain of the female mice, okay. but female pheromone enhance the cell proliferation in the brain of male mice. So there's reciprocal influences to each other. Yeah. Wow. Isn't that fantastic? I mean, that's, <laughs> that that's really interesting. I mean, that really is interesting. So uh, mm-hmm. the female pheromones influences the male brain, the male pheromones mm-hmm. influences the female brain. And does it, in yes. both cases, it makes them more mentally strong. That, wow. that is the results we got. I mean, isn't that amazing? Well, I mean, I think it's I think it's fantastic, and I mean, it's great research, and it sounds like you've got 
you've got a lot more to go learn now, don't you? Yes, I am just so excited with the research and these results coming out. And yes, I'm just so, so. I feel feel really happy as a scientist. Yeah, I bet. Well, I mean, Mm -hmm. think about that. You've made a pretty amazing uh, discovery there. And I guess now it's just now you got to spend the rest of your life figuring out what it means. (laughs) Yes, that's exactly how I'm doing. Oh, well, I think it's beautiful. And I mean, I really, to me, it's exciting, too, because it's, um, I mean, it also says, you know, that we're playing these important roles we don't even know about. And um, plus, just to find out what what other, I mean, it's interesting, I guess, down the road, you could find out, does a father being being around a daughter, does a father's pheromones influence a daughter, not just Mm -hmm. a sexual partner, but a non-sexual partner? Well, that, there are actually studies in human about whether the uh, real father, biological father, yeah. affects the daughter or what happens in case of the, how is the influence of the stepfather. And um, there are studies showing that stepfathers affect the, the daughters. Oh, as well, so, uh, oh, stepfathers do affect um, daughters as well. Like the pu- puberty. Yeah. Um, Interesting. Yes. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, it, it's fascinating and a lot to learn there. So um, we we appreciate we appreciate your work your your work on this as well. We also just appreciate your time trying to explain a very complicated thing to some very basic minded people. Me. You're welcome. Well, we appreciate it. Dr. Sachiko Koyama. We uh, again appreciate you from the Indiana University Medicine Science Program. There, she's an associate research professor. Fascinating stuff. Fascinating stuff when you think about it, folks. We're going to take a break, come back, uh, continue learning more about life uh, and just making it happen. Interesting. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Such a... Interesting interview there uh, with Dr. Sachiko Koyama. When you think about it, how much is going on in our lives, in our marriages, our families that we don't even know is happening? Like who would have thunk that my male pheromones, which my wife says are incredible, how, how many, who would have known that those pheromones would just naturally be operating on my wife and would actually eventually change her breast milk and make her uh, be able to deliver more um, brain power, let's say, to our kids. Crazy cool. Now, And you think about that and you're like, well, yeah, sure, of course. Duh. No, don't duh me. You didn't have a clue about that. And yet there's stuff like that happening all of the time. And it's impacting a lot of uh, a lot of what's going on in our world. So the minute you sit there and think you just know it, holy cow! Wait for the next study to come out. That's one of the goals I have on the show. Is I want you to, I just want to get you the most information we can get you, because in that case, dads matter. By the way, she made a really great point that moms, the, moms' pheromones actually also impact the intelligence of their sons. Dad's pheromones impact the intelligence and the smarts of their daughters. So it's powerful stuff. Let me give you – I found a a blog post um, from babycenter.com. 
that is 10 reasons why dads matter. Here's a few other reasons that you may not have even known about. They're all pretty much research-based, right? Number one, um, who else other than mom will tuck her into bed at night Her or teach her how to ride a bike or help her, you know, move on and, and take some risks in life? So one of the great things that dads can do is just being there to be a part of tucking your kids into bed at night. Um, it's, it's not just mom's role, right? Number two reason why dads matter is that these kids carry your genes, dad, and uh, you're part of the history. And if you want to teach your kids how to manage life in a healthy way, you're going to have to teach them how to use the genes that you've handed down. So dads being around can let the kids understand what genes that they may have been handed. Maybe the big ear gene or the hairy back gene, whatever gene you've handed down. Dad, you got to be around to help your your kids through it. I've uh, just recently talked to some kids who have anxiety, and sadly, their their father's not around, and their father's not around because the father had anxiety, and it makes sense, you know, he just couldn't take the pressure, so he bailed and got away. But the problem is these kids aren't learning how to manage the anxiety that comes in their genes. Anyway, tough stuff. Another reason why dads matter, you matter to your partner. When you get stuck in um, in your, and we've just basically talked about it, you matter to creating a, strength, a strong and healthy marriage with your spouse. That helps your kids recognize that there are such things as healthy relationships. So dads, we matter in being a major part of teaching our children how to have a healthy relationship. Uh, interesting little statistic about why dads matter. Um You'll tend to raise brainy kids. Children with involved fathers have better social skills when they reach nursery, and they do better on their exams at age 16. So dads, by you simply being involved, it helps. Crazy cool, huh? Another reason why dads matter, being a good dad keeps your child sane. Father-child closeness is a crucial predictor of long-term mental health. I've seen it in coaching and working with uh, teens, whenever I would work with um, young women that were, you know, promiscuous, sexually active, doing things that were against their value system, I'd always ask one question, tell me about your relationship with your father. And invariably, what we'd find is they weren't close to their dads. When you're close to your dads, it's a crucial predictor of long-term mental health, father-child closeness. Another uh, reason why dads matter is that uh, um, successful professional women tend to have at least one thing in common, fathers who respect and encourage them. So one thing that drives women to become more successful, more professional, would be a father that respects and encourages them to be their best. Cool research. Another one, do well as a father, and when your child's time comes, she'll be a better mom. Dads help their daughters become better parents top 10 reasons why dads matter from babycenter.com. Let's do a couple more. Again, moms matter too. I'm just throwing out dads today. We're doing that little lesson. Uh, another really interesting one, do well as a father and when your child, uh, no, keep, you'll keep him out of prison. Good fathering means your son is less likely to have a criminal record. That's pretty cool. Another one is you'll be happier. Father involvement at the age of seven is correlated with your daughter's contentment with love at 33. You want your daughter happy and in love at 33? Be a good dad today. 
And the final one, do you want your child to have higher self-esteem? Be friendly and trust others. Your influence makes a difference. According to research, dads that are involved and are interested in what their kids are doing and ask questions actually positively impact uh, your daughter's self-esteem. Pretty cool stuff. Dads, if you ever doubted it, you totally matter. And apparently, as we've learned throughout this last half hour, you matter before babies are born, and you matter a lot for what you do after babies are born. That's why we need you to stick around, be a part of our lives and our family's lives. We're going to take a break, my friends, when we come back, do a little uh, news update with Kathy Aiken, find out what's going on there, and uh, just do some more fun stuff before we go down to BYU Sports Nation and see what's coming up on their show at the top of the hour. Folks, this is the Matt Townsend Show. Remember, can't do it without you. We'd just be talking to air. Stick with us, folks. Uh, We're on the journey together. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Top of the morning to you, right? It's almost lunch for some of you back east. Remember, this is the program where we give you the skills, the tools, the ideas, the information you need to live longer, to love stronger, to have healthier, happier lives. Holy cow. And by the way, happy World Humanitarian Day. Just what we need. We do. We need more humanitarians, don't we? Uh... So happy World Humanitarian Day. Holy cow. Okay, in the uh, what were you thinking, what do we call that, file, all I can say is come on. Oh, come on. Because seriously, did you hear about this couple in Niagara Falls? They're, they're looking for a couple after they, the couple locked their baby apparently in a hotel safe. What? <laughs> oh, and went on. where? I don't know. Probably oh. they went over the falls to go check out the falls. They just they locked the child in there where they went somewhere. The Canadian police are on the hunt for a couple from Brooklyn whose infant somehow wound up locked in a hotel safe. Oh my god. In Niagara Falls. The family was staying at the Howard Johnsons when the parents summoned help from the staff and said their child was locked in the safe. When the staff opened the safe, the baby was alert and crying. I mean, I would cry. Last time I was in a safe. I know. How can you breathe in there? Yeah. Crazy. Oh. Anyway. Um, wow. At this point, the the police are like, you know, we assume it was probably preventable. Maybe the one-year-old somehow got into the safe and shut the door. Mm-hmm. Why the parents went sightseeing. Yeah. Sure. Mm-hmm. Or, or whatever. Yeah, however it happened. But they just need to know the baby's okay. So the police are looking for the couple to know the baby's okay. But oh. come on. Wow. I mean, I get locking a teenager up. For sure. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. I'm not against locking your kids up, but in a safe? Oh, my. I mean, it's hard enough. I locked my iPhone in a safe once, and it took me a day to figure it out. <laughs> bad idea, bad idea. Anyway, um, so watch out for that one. And did you hear about this uh, crazy rainfall in China? Did you hear about this? The, I did Where that explosion took mm-hmm. place? Is it Tianjin explosion? So it you know, blew half the city apart. But now there's 700 ton- tons of sodium cyanide that are kind of floating right. around. Right, yes. And the rain brought it down, and it created a nice little foam. 
sodium cyanide foam that now is making everybody sting and burn and their <laughs> lips are st- tingling. Wow. Hope Bad. Major the water system or something. That'd no, be horrible. Yeah, it's a major problem. And now it's going to meet the water system and then, you know, that's what happens. Sad. Not good. After effects of uh, a really horrible explosion. explosion. Uh, So, Kathy, have you got any headlines for us? I do, Matt. Good morning. Documents released by federal prosecutors this morning say former subway spokesman Jared Fogle traveled to New York City to engage in sex acts with minors and Mm. received child pornography from the former director of his foundation. Fogle is expected to plead guilty to possessing child pornography and one count of traveling to have sex with a minor. Fogle's home was raided last month where DVDs and computers were seized. According to a new video from the Center for Medical Progress, a medical technician describes using scissors to cut through the face of a newly aborted baby boy at a Planned Parenthood facility so his intact brain could be extracted. Uh Holly O'Donnell, who became a whistleblower after leaving the company STEM Express, said the child was the most fully developed she had seen up to that point. She also said before the dissection, a colleague was able to get the baby's heart beating. So far, a number of states have defunded Planned Parenthood and formal investigations have begun in others. After more than 300 emails from Hillary Clinton's private email server were flagged as classified, the Democratic presidential frontrunner says the questions about the server are nothing to worry about. Clinton is blaming Republicans for the controversy because she says they can't defeat, defeat her on the issues. She also said she wasn't the only government official who used a private email server. We would be going through the same because this may not have been an issue in 2009, but now it is. Or in 2011, this should have been handled differently than it was. It has nothing to do with me, and it has nothing to do with the fact that my account was personal. It's the process by which the government, and sometimes in disagreement between various agencies of the government, make decisions about what can and cannot be disclosed. The FBI continues to search the server for recoverable data. Despite the controversy, Clinton still leads with Democratic voters 49 percent to 25 percent for Bernie Sanders, according to the latest Real Clear Politics polling average. GOP presidential contender Carly Fiorina has surged in the polls, moving to seven or excuse me, number seven in that same poll. Donald Trump still leads the field at 22 percent, followed by Jeb Bush at nearly 11 percent. Bush talked about Trump's idea on building a wall to keep out illegal immigrants. Creating an embargo on Mexico, our third largest trading partner, it's not realistic to suggest that you would do that. It's not realistic to create a fence in places where fences can't be built. Right behind Bush in the polls is Ben Carson, followed by Scott Walker, Marco Rubio, and Ted Cruz. The next GOP debate is scheduled for September 16th at the Ronald Reagan Library in California. An estimated 95 fires are burning across more than one million acres of land in seven western states. Hundreds of California National Guard soldiers have joined the battle against the wildfires. In and California and Washington state, there have been evacuations. Here's a National Guard member, Matt Egan. We're all pretty much beat, so I couldn't imagine doing this for the whole fire season like the actual firefighters do. 200 active-duty soldiers will be sent to help this weekend. The FDA has approved a pill to treat sexual dysfunction in premenopausal women. The pink pill, called Addy, is taken daily and works on the central nervous system and is in the same category as an antidepressant. 
And Matt, it's not often a person is grateful to have a run-in with the law. Mm-mm. But a Texas mother of four is grateful for being arrested two weeks ago. Julie Cunningham was arrested on suspicion of driving under the influence after her car hit a curb and crashed into a fire hydrant. Though the breathalyzer test showed zero, she was slurring her speech, and so she was sent to jail. Well, luckily, Cunningham's family realized that something wasn't right, took her to the doctor the next day, and they found a lemon-sized tumor on her brain. The tumor was non-cancerous. It was removed, and she's now home recovering. So oh, crazy. Wow. They're like, thank you for arresting me, putting me in jail. And now, you know, otherwise it could have been a lot worse. So, Oh, my heavens. Yeah, found it out the hard way. Isn't that uh, – it's cool. Did she get charged with a DUI? They or? are. They will not charge her until um, toxicology results are coming okay, back. Even though it. the breathalyzer showed zero, I think they thought maybe she had some drugs in her system. So Something's going that on out. there yeah. that might not come out in yeah. the breath. No, right. No, but it was a brain tumor. Oh. Yeah. That is um, – by the way, speaking of brain tumors, um, was Hillary Clinton saying that she didn't – She. It's I, not about her. You know what? She's she's got to be careful. I know. I'm not her advisor, but when she's sitting there kind of, you know, the government just has certain things that we can say and we can't say. No, 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 no. That's intelligence. And you don't mess with that without messing with intelligence officers right. that have the ability to turn on the NSA computers and find out anything they need to find out. Right. I mean – you just got to be nice. No, she seems I'm like I think she just I think she thinks that like so many other times the Clintons will just kind of slide through this one. Yeah. But this one, I don't know. I this don't is know. very serious. Well, I very don't know serious. that the Clintons have ever dealt with intelligence officers. I mean, this is like this is different than Bill Clinton because Bill Clinton was being chased by the Congress. That mm-hmm. that that was who was investigating him. Mm-hmm. This is the FBI. Yeah. This is the NSA. Right. Don't talk about intelligence without messing us up. Right. So, oh, that's a serious crime. And I just her tone there was so interesting. I know. Weird. <laughs> anyway, don't speak, you love politics? I, you know, I love. I'm loving it a lot less lately. I don't know why. <laughs> I don't know Shocker. why. It totally. Well, we'll take a break. Thank you, Kathy, for the great news and uh, even the bad news. We're going to take a break, come back and visit our buddies at BYU Sports Nation. Do a quick uh, review. Find out what's coming up on their show at the top of the hour. Stick with us, my friends. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, we're going to shoot down and uh, talk to our good buddies down there at BYU Sports Nation. The dynamic duo, Spencer and Jerem. Hello, gentlemen. What's going on? How you guys doing? It's ready to party. You, there's, a, there's a lot going on today for I us know. down here. I'm dying. I, I mean a lot. You know what? Um, let's hear about it. Let's hear about it. Because you guys, A, you always have everything going on. B or, or, or we'll we're make up stuff. we've already what been doing. What does that mean? Well, we you, have everything going on. You guys always have a lot of good stuff. Stacy's mom's got it going on. Yeah, you guys okay? Are you guys Spencer, okay? wow, was that Spencer? That was amazing. Really? Sounded Not a lot really. like Jeremy. That would be Spencer throwing his voice. There's a lot you going on. Honestly, let's, think that would be me. Let's yeah. get into it. Get into it. 
Uh, BYU and Utah are going to play football games in 19 and 20. That's cool. They already had 16, 17, 18 locked up. So this is great. Five more years of that. That's great. And then they're discussing 21 and 22. So today we're discussing this with BYU fans. How important is BYU and Utah, that game to you? And we're, we're realizing a lot of this has to do with the Utah crowd versus the non-Utah crowd to a great degree. Yeah, Which yeah. is interesting. There are those that are like... Hey, this needs to be played every year. And then those that are like, you know what? I'm over it. And so we're going to have that discussion. Oh, interesting. And maybe the non-Utah crowd would rather see a Michigan game. Sure. Yeah. Hmm. And, and they to want me, BYU in their backyard. That's yeah. cool. That's and right. To me, it's not about like Michigan, LSU. It's about like Cincinnati and yeah. Yeah. East Carolina. Like those, you're playing those games. Is that like you'll always go and try and play LSU and right. Michigan? You'll take the big ones. Right. And that and that's been Utah's thing is. They got a better situation than BYU. They yeah. play in a great conference, the second best conference, and they don't feel like they need BYU anymore. And so BYU turned around and said, yeah, we don't feel like we need you either. When, to me, and I'm on the, hey, let's play the game every year, friends, uh, I, I missed that a lot. Mm-hmm. I think it was a part of the fabric of BYU football, and that place is unoccupied now see guys for me as a relationship coach it's more about like a bad breakup where you're the girl that thinks you've been dumped and nobody wants you anymore there is an element of that within the byu utah rivalry right now seriously i know no i know and i think i think that's yeah plus it'd be so fun to have byu play utah and still do really well well, yeah, it definitely doesn't help that BYU's lost four in a row. To That's Utah, not going to help. Which is why Utah fans are like, meh. And Me? BYU fans are like, we want to yeah. play because we want to end it. That's you know what? <laughs> That's a great topic. You're gonna you're gonna chow down on that one all day. Anything else you're gonna talk about in your busy day? The men's be- <laughs> the men's people. basketball schedule is out. Okay. So there there were five games we didn't know, and then we didn't know when the WCC uh, games for BYU were. So BYU plays Gonzaga at Gonzaga January fourteenth. The site of the reason I shaved my head. That's right. And then February 27th, BYU will end the regular season against Gonzaga. We also know Ooh, the rest cool. of the non-conference schedule, so we'll tell you those games, plus what it will take for BYU with this schedule to make the NCAA tournament versus, say, the last two years. Yes, cool. Good topic. Anything else? I'm going to eat a granola bar in a minute. Mm, sounds like fiber. Nice. Well, you said what else are you chowing down on? Hey, uh, did you guys hear about Marco Rubio hitting a boy in the head? I saw that. We saw it. Yeah, I witnessed it. <laughs> Boom! Fantastic video. That's pretty funny. You can't win if you're a politician. You're either eating like a big, you know, corn dog, and you look like you're a monster, or you're hitting a kid in the face, or you're strapping your dog to the roof of your car. Exactly, <laughs> a la Mitt Romney. <laughs> well, cool guys, you got a great show coming up. Um, again, we will, of course, everybody, all of my listeners, we've all signed an agreement that we will all immediately listen to your show. Wow! Mm-hmm. Did you really do that? Well, I only have six listeners. Can I? Oh, okay. And three Time's of them are up. family members, so we just did it at a family party. Hey, they count. <laughs> Tap the battle. Wait. Hey, guys, have a great show. Thank you, Thanks. Dr. Knock them dead. Thanks, Matt. Have fun. Good stuff. Good stuff, kids. Honestly, we're getting older, aren't we? Slow and steady wins the race. Here's some other news going on in the kind of what the heck are you thinking uh, battle. Earlier, you heard me talk about um, the. Uh, the person that locked their baby in a safe, you know, accidental or not, that's important. Hey, where's the baby? I don't know. I hear a faint cry coming from. 
I don't know, some some strong box. <laughs> you mean the safe? Anyway, uh, sad, sad, sad thing. And again, Marco Rubio, don't pick on kids. You know, if you're going to pick on somebody, pick on somebody your own size. Did you hear the crazy news about the police bus, though? $30 million in contraband cheese. Uh Yesterday, I think we talked about a $50 million worth of Coke. Was it, was it cocaine came up on the shore? Now, in Russia, police Tuesday have busted an international ring, an international ring, producing contraband cheese worth up to $30 million, arresting six people. $30 million in Brie. That is a lot of cheese, if you know what I'm saying. The arrests are part of a government campaign to enforce a ban on imports of Western cheeses. Oh, boy. That's not good. I hope it's not American cheese. That would be really bad. And other products uh, that are coming from uh, the U.S. This is in retaliation. Russia's retaliating against U.S. and European unions, sanctions that they put on Russia. Police said the ring, whose operation began in March had been supplying a cheese product made from cheese rene, I guess, whose import into Russia is forbidden. Man, this was an intense raid. During the investigation, police raided 17 homes, 14 dairies, (laughs) and three delis. It was a horrible, I mean, that's a lot of raids. They found 470 tons of this Rene or Rennet, I don't know if how do you pronounce it, product. Anyway, you got to be careful, folks. It's all fun and games till you start, uh, you know, having an underground railroad of your cheese. Anyway, that's crazy. Earlier in the show, we talked about uh, Major League Baseball is basically banning the Apple Watch. You're not allowed, if you're a baseball coach or manager to go out on the field or to have your Apple Watch on your person during a game. Not allowed to. They're afraid you'll be cheating with it. I mean, these are obviously people that don't have an Apple Watch because they don't understand that you can't do much with it if your phone's not around, right? It's just a really nice clock. Um. But this all started with Ned Yost, who is a Kansas City Royals manager. And they, the, by the way, Major League Baseball gave him the watch. It's kind of like, you know, take backs. <laughs> they gave him a watch. and like, yeah, but you can't wear it on the field. And this goes back to the smartphone problem, right? Because, uh, you know, smartphones, they don't, want the, they don't want the players to have their smartphones out there during a game. For a variety of reasons, but one could be, I guess, cheating. You know, you might be somebody might be texting you, "Hey, so and so's I've I've stolen his signs now, so I know how to win the game for you." Anyway, in the end, uh, it's gonna it's gonna come down to really you're you can't use it. Sorry, cheaters never prosper. So just quit it. And um, anyway. Is it a big deal? Probably not. This all started, if you remember, back with Joe Horn. Um, he scored a touchdown and then ran to the uh, end zone, and um, Joe Horn was with the New Orleans Saints, and he ran to the end zone and reached and pulled his cell phone out of the the padding around the goalpost. And then he, you know, made a phone call as he's celebrating. His celebration involved a phone call. Yeah, Mom, I just scored a TD, whatever. 
So because of that, they started banning it in sports, and Major League Baseball is now saying you can't have your Apple Watch there. Cheaters never prosper. little information for you there. Anyway, as we wrap up the show, um, we always like to talk about the heroes, right? And one of my uh, favorite parts of the show is where we get to point out somebody that's made a difference. And we call this Townsend's Heroes. Uh, today's hero is Josh Siganik Cy- of Oregon. And basically, Josh Siganik of Oregon, uh, 35-year-old track inspector for Union Pacific Railroad in Pendleton, Oregon, was working across the street when he heard two teenagers walk past him and made rude comments about the elderly man's home of which they were passing by. One kid called it the ugliest house I've ever seen and said it should be burned down. Siganik overheard these comments and noticed that the homeowner's 75-year-old Leonard Bullock heard them as well. Bullock hung his head in embarrassment, which really bothered Siganik. He said, I was brought up to treat people with respect. Respect your elders, he told the news. Siganik went home that day and talked to one of his friends at a lumber store. They decided to donate paint, and then Siganik took a social media look uh, and tried to find volunteers to help paint Bullock's home. The post was shared with more than 6,000 times, and over 100 volunteers showed up that day to paint Bullock's house. He was speechless, said Siganik. The fresh coat of paint gives Bullock a sense of pride and has made Bullock and Siganik friends. Now the two, you know, hang out. They chat almost every day now as they're heading to work. The story of this good deed has been shared all over the world, and uh, Siganik said he's shocked and happy by how the story has been so well accepted around the world, and it's trying to change the negativity of the news. Don't be afraid to go out there, he said, and help people. Don't be afraid to take the first step. Josh Siganik of Oregon, my friend, you are Townsend's Hero of the Day. Stud Muffin. That is so cool. And to those kid punks making fun of a of an old man's house that you don't even know what he's going through. You don't even know what this is going on in the life of another. You know, it's just what teens do. But the cool thing about a hero is they're every day, right? They happen every chance. You have a chance every day to be someone's hero. So as we leave you on the show today, I want you to be thinking about that. How can you go make a difference in your family's life, in your kid's life? Today we talked about a simple way to do it. it might simply be instead of complaining about your kid's video games, why don't you be their hero and sit down and start playing video games with them? Pretty cool. You can become a difference too, folks. Wherever you are, whatever you're doing, remember, you know, the world needs you to to be at your top of your game. Be healthy and uh, lift the world and the people around you because when you do, we're all so much better for it. My friends, that's the show. Thanks for joining us again. You can find us on um, podcast. You can go to iTunes. You can go to TuneIn. Go to BYURadio.org. We can't do the show without you. Till tomorrow, my friends, be safe, take care, love the people that are around you, and uh, make it a great one. <laughs>